Hello, and welcome to UK Life Abroad. My name is Andre, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Alexa and Nathan. This week, we discuss the current state of diplomatic relations between Belarus and Ukraine. We explore how tensions between the two neighboring nations face them against each other, while both being geographically sandwiched between Russia and the EU. This and more on Sakhradonia Ukrainsi, a podcast for all things Ukrainian. The border between Belarus, Poland and Lithuania has recently devolved into unrest as thousands of migrants have become stranded, caught in the middle of a political dispute between Belarus and the EU. Now, during this time, Belarus is encouraging migrants to illegally cross the border into Poland and other EU member states as revenge for sanctions imposed after the Belarusian dictator Lukashenko's violent crackdown on mass protests last year, and that's according to NBC News. So these protests were after the election that was um, plagued with inaccuracies and electoral fraud, which we covered last year, and the mass protests that obviously came out of that, he cracked down violently on them. Um, Now, this has been met with resistance by the Polish border agents due to Poland's hard stance uh, against immigration. Now, Poland has responded by deploying 20,000 border police, firing water cannons, tear gas uh, at asylum seekers, reinforcing its border fencing and blocking access for journalists and aid organisations into the area. Now, The Guardian stated that Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko's use of refugees and migrants as pawns for political gain, luring them from the Middle East to deliberately create a border crisis, is heinous. Now, Alexa, can you dive a little more into exactly how these migrants ended up in Belarus in the first place? Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, so these migrants come from mainly the Middle East, however, it's a majority come from Iraq or Syria. And what they do is, is originally they would either fly to Belarus directly or enter the country via Istanbul. And um, if you look at the data in the weeks leading up to this crisis, Belarus's state airline, Belavia, slashed their ticket prices from the Middle East to Belarus in half. And Belarus's foreign ministry announced that most Middle Eastern countries could obtain visas upon arrival, or the government started promoting package holidays to Belarus. And so what they would do is these people would buy cheap one-way tickets to Belarus, get their visa on arrival, and a lot of them were given um, hunting tours. And Belarus is rich in many forests, and a lot of these forests are located in Western Belarus near the EU border. And... Uh, journalists have been able to obtain evidence of Belarusian border guards helping these um, migrants get as close to the border as possible and even tell them when border patrols have moved on from an area and tell them when to try and cross the border. And to kind of give you context, um, this part of the EU border was very, very quiet. So, for example... Um, guess how many people illegally crossed the Belarusian-Lithuanian border in 2020? Like, this is a border that's a couple of hundred, like, say it's 300 kilometers long. How many people do you think crossed it illegally? I don't know, 100? 81 illegally crossed the border. As of 
early November this year, 4,220 people had crossed the border illegally. So this is a massive escalation of what um, these countries are used to dealing with. And these migrants aren't intending to stay in Belarus or Poland. They want to be, uh, they all want to head to Germany and Western Europe, where the living standards are obviously higher than these countries. And so it's provoked another migrant crisis, as you were saying, within the EU, as now the EU has to sort out what to do with all these people trying to illegally enter. And I think, Andre, you've got a bit of information about the international response to Belarus's actions. Yeah. So considering that the migrant crisis has started within the, uh, with the border between Poland and Lithuania, um, the situation could become worse uh, either by Poland uh, completely refusing the migrants or uh, just a, a new wave of migrants coming into Belarus. And this could push a lot of the migrants into uh, towards Ukraine's border, which is over a thousand kilometers long. And considering that it's a little easier to get into the EU from Ukraine, uh, there might be a lot more migrants coming into the EU. And so Poland has begun working with the Ukrainian authorities uh, to prevent this situation from becoming worse if it does happen to overflow into Ukraine. Now, there has been some backlash from Ukraine as the foreign policy spokesperson for Germany made a comment saying that they should involve Ukraine in dealing with the migrant standoff between the EU and Belarus. How? By getting Kiev to agree on temporary admission of the migrants into Ukraine and then processing their applications for asylum. And he, he, he states here that this way we can make it clear that not every migrant will automatically enter the European Union. However, um, they have overlooked a critical point in that Minsk actually adheres to the 1951 uh, Refugee Convention in which uh, people who are fleeing from persecution and war should apply for asylum in the first safe country they reach. In this case, they are generally doing so. This means they should apply in Belarus. And the Belarusian authorities have the international obligation to provide protection to these people and process their applications first. Oh, and Andre, hasn't Ukraine also sent aid to Lithuania to help them on their border with Belarus? Uh, yes, they have. So I believe it was 25 tons of aid to Lithuania. So as a precaution uh, for the potential threat uh, rising along the, Ukraine, uh, along the Ukrainian border, uh, the Ukrainian government has strengthened its security along, uh, along the border with Belarus and has put the, region, uh, the regions bordering Belarus into a high alert. Now they are closely monitoring the situation for any possible changes to it. And this sort of brings us to why Belarus would do something like this. And I think you kind of mentioned that in your introduction, Nathan, how it's an attempt to blackmail the EU into re-recognizing his regime, wouldn't you say? Yeah, um, definitely. I... Like the the guardian mentioned that it was you know it was heinous to use them as um, uh, these migrants as political pawns. Um, I think that's in the, you know exactly the right statement that in order to you know try and 
reaffirm his position as um, president in the eyes of, you know, the EU, for example, and to try and get back at them for the sanctions that they've imposed. He has now destroyed the lives of, you know, thousands of people. I, I read one story that there was um, a man that was found dead in the forest there. Um, and the temperatures there are becoming freezing. And, you know, it's now it's a horrible situation. And it's all just because he wants to get back at the EU because he's upset that they put sanctions on the country. Um, I, I, I see this as I, um, it's it, it fascinates me that uh, a leader can just take a giant crisis that already exists and then make it even worse just for their own political gain. Yeah, I believe that this whole migrant situation stems from the fact that uh, Lukashenko wants to be recognized as as the leader of Belarus and not viewed as a dictator as a lot of the countries in Europe believe so. But from this crisis, he has managed to get a phone call from Angela Merkel and in which they discussed about the migrant crisis and a way to deal with the situation. Now, a lot of, uh, a lot of people viewed this as a, as a poor choice of, uh, poor choice of actions in that it's viewing, uh, it shows that, uh, Germany may view Lukashenko as, uh, the legitimate president of Belarus. And this is especially, uh, a note Svetlana Tsihanovska, who is the president of the Coordination Council of Bel uh, of Belarus. And as I mentioned before, she claims that by contacting uh, Lukashenko, you are legitimizing his government and his actions and that he is the rightful leader of Belarus. So I believe pretty much that it's, it's all a ploy to legitimize his power with the migrant crisis. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fair point, especially considering that I mean, if you want to try and resolve the crisis, you're kind of forced to contact and negotiate with the person who has, who is the head of that government, legitimately or not, in this case, not legitimately, but he is the one with the power to, you know, change that situation. So by creating a scenario where you're forced to interact with him, then yeah, it legitimizes him as the head of that country. So yeah, I agree with you, Andre. So um, I have a question, guys. What do you think the long-term solution is going to be? I'm not entirely sure if there is uh, a, an option that comes up best for both worlds, mainly because of uh, the the issue with Lukashenko in that he caused he he has caused uh, this migrant crisis. It wasn't something that happened outside of his powers, and they all happened to be traveling to Belarus. And obviously, uh, Russia is in clear support of this because then it uh, pushes away the news and the media from uh, from watching the Ukrainian and Russia border as well. And with that, I don't think Europe can come to a clear uh, understanding of how to resolve this issue. Like yeah, I think you're right, Andre. I think there will be a hardening of the EU-Belarusian border and I think more attention will be paid to these sorts of acts of hybrid warfare where rogue regimes will utilize people smuggling to try and obtain concessions from the West. 
So yeah, I mean, this whole situation basically just reinforces the idea that the EU has to be watchful of all its borders and it can't just focus on the southern borders because, you know, rogue regimes like Belarus at the moment can just as easily restart people smuggling if the EU lets its guard down. And basically, I think the EU is put in a position of, do you engage with Lukashenko and his dictatorial regime or do you continue to promote the more legitimate opposition in exile, even though the opposition in exile can't really influence things on the ground in Belarus unless the people stand up and fight for their rights against Lukashenko, which is up to the Belarusian people. And I think this, I think this crisis will further drive Ukraine towards the EU because obviously the EU will want to support Ukraine because otherwise Ukraine... Well, Ukraine's border with Belarus needs defending just as much as the EU-Belarus border does. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you on the security part um, because the more the more successful acts like this are in uh, bringing other countries to the table because of that security threat that you know mass migrations like this and people accumulating on the border it does cause a security uh, threat to those countries. Um, that's more likely than to empower other versions of this you know, hybrid warfare um, to then um, start to rise up. And um, I guess like no good libs like myself, I kind of think that eventually someone someone has to take these migrants at some point. Um, and that, that to me, I think, is, is the only solution out of it. Eventually they have to go somewhere. So whether it's back you know, into Ukraine, whether it's back out of Belarus in another way, um, they've got to go somewhere. Um, one country has to take them eventually. And until that decision is made, they're going to be stuck in this, you know, middle ground. And unfortunately, conditions there are going to get worse the longer that they're there. So I guess it's kind of one of those, watch this space and see what happens. In the news this week, Ukraine's indigenous Karayimu people have announced that they'll be forming a representative body to promote their interests within Ukraine. The organization will be built along the lines of the Majlis of the Crimean Tatar people. Under Ukraine's law on indigenous peoples, the Karayimu, along with Crimean Tatars and Krimchaks, are recognized as indigenous people of Ukraine and are entitled to government support to preserve their language and culture. As of the 2001 Ukrainian census, around 1,200 Karayimu live in Ukraine with around 650 residing in Crimea. The Karayimu are a Turkic-speaking people that practice Karita Judaism, which recognizes the written Torah alone as the supreme authority in Jewish religious law and theology. President Zelensky has held another press marathon dedicated to the midpoint of his presidency. During the press conference, Zelensky dropped a media bombshell where he alleged that Ukrainian security services picked up chatter about a possible coup attempt. According to Zelensky, the alleged coup was scheduled for December the 1st and hoped to take advantage of the current social tensions in Ukraine. Zelensky went further to allege that the coup intended to bring to power someone closely connected to Ukrainian oligarch Renat Akhmetov. During his press conference, Zelensky provided no physical evidence of this alleged coup. President Zelensky has delivered his annual address to the Vahovna Rada. During his speech, Zelensky covered a range of topics including the creation of economic passports for Ukrainians, 
as well as in establishing accounts for children that will accumulate funds to pay for things such as education or housing once they reach adulthood. Zelensky also continued his rhetoric of wanting to speak with Putin one-on-one, much to the dismay of Ukrainian patriots. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Join us next week for more UK Life Abroad content.